Steve Ganoza's King's Code. I grew up in northern Minnesota in a good middle-class family. As a teenager, I had a job working for the catering crew at a local Knights of Columbus, working weddings and other parties. I worked my way up clearing tables and cleaning dishes all the way to a supervisor position. I also worked a night job stacking shelves at a grocery store in the town. Before I had a car, I ride my bike in and out of town. I grew up out in the country, just a small neighborhood of six houses, so I never had to go too far. In most days, I ride about four miles, but sometimes it'll be in and out of town two to three times a day. As hard as I worked, I still find time to have fun. There'd be times, especially around the 4th of July, when we work until 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning getting the shelf stocked. And then we'll be up at 5.30 or 6, driving 30 minutes to go up in the lake with my friends to go surfing and water skiing, and then go back to town by 8.30 to teach my morning tennis lessons. One day a week, I'll also set up for a wedding and then work the wedding on Saturday night. I saw a lot of my friends around me who didn't have the work ethic and I always bit him on the ass eventually. I had friends, for example, who worked in the mines. And I heard stories about how they sneaked away at night during their shifts to take a nap. I just think, what bullshit? They're sleeping on someone else's dollar. Then not surprisingly, those mines would have such low production that they had to shut them down. The same guys who slept on the job were bitching and moaning that they were laid off that year. After I graduated school, I got a regular office job selling copiers. I came back home one summer to organize a one-mile race down Main Street. Brian, my boss at Parks and Rec, came up to me and asked, Hey, what are you up to? I told him, I'm selling office copiers. He said, you should talk to my brother. He's part owner in a screen printing company in Eveleth, which is a city about 30 miles from where I grew up. He added, they sell t-shirts and they're looking for sales reps. I looked at Brian and I said, I looked at Brian and I said, why would I want to sell t-shirts? He said, no, really. You should take a look at it because it's different from what you think. They're very creative. You'll like it. He knew me very well, so I gave it a shot. I went to the facility for a couple of weeks. I met with the owners. Brian was right. They did have some really cool stuff. I met the main graphic artist, Gary, and he opened my eyes of how cool and beautiful promotional marketing collateral could be. He's one of the best screen printers in the country that I've ever seen. We're good friends till this day. I wasn't ready to jump in right away. I did some research in the industry to see where the market for promotional printed apparel was going, and it turned out at that time that it was a really strong trend that was growing. I started thinking about how I could sell the product because I was into outdoors and riding snowmobiles and motorcycles. I just thought, this is really cool. I had to make a choice. Working as a sales rep for a copier business wasn't exactly exciting, but it paid the bills. I had a base salary, insurance, and pay expenses, everything I would need to live comfortably. But I knew the other job would be a lot more fun, and I had enough money saved up that I could take the risk. It turned out to be a great fit, and right away some of my first customers were Polaris snowmobiles and Arctic Cat off-road vehicles. I started networking and figuring out ways to better serve my customers. I was introduced to a distributor for a Korean baseball cap manufacturer here in Minneapolis. I learned they also did embroidery, and they would supply headwear for the company I was working for. I became a connector and I started bringing customers from each company to the other. That's when I saw the opportunity and I thought I could start my own company. One of the other sales reps in the company thought the same thing, so we decided to go on it together and in 1996, I started my first company. We thought that the hardest part was to take the leap of faith and start a business. Later did I know that the hardest part was staying in business. Our company changed the way promotional products are sold. Before we started, most promotional products were what's called trinkets and trash. If you wanted to give away a branded product at a business conference, 
It will be a pen with your company name or a cheap t-shirt that will end up in a closet or donated to a charity a few months later. What we did was make high-quality goods and the company's logo will be on things like backpacks, coolers, and ski caps. A big part of our business is uniforms and especially rugby kits. Pretty much anyone could get into the business of promotional marketing. There's a low barrier of entry because sometimes all you need is a silk screen machine and a six-pack of white t-shirts and you can call yourself a promotional marketer. It's kind of a blessing and a curse. It's a curse because there's a lot of competition. But at the same time, it's a blessing because a lot of people don't have the knowledge, experience, and the credibility that we have. So it makes it easy for us to stand out. The apparel market industry is a $24 billion industry. And I'm proud to say that my company is in the top 4% of that. When we started the company, every year we have massive growth. When the market crashed in 2008, it hit our business hard because most companies were cutting costs and often we were the first ones to go. It took us a couple of years to start bringing in more revenue. Just when I thought that we were going back to growth mode, my partner came to me and told me that things were worse than we thought. It was hard for me to believe that because I've been working my ass off to get back to being profitable. We have millions of dollars in revenue coming in, but I never looked at the financials because after all, he was a CFO and in charge of making sure that we were profitable. And I was a CEO and I was focused on growing and expanding the company. I had to put in money to keep on paying employees but we ended up getting to the point that it was so bad that my partner wanted to sell the company or declare bankruptcy. To me, bankruptcy wasn't an option. I worked too hard just to let the company go. So I made him an offer to buy him out and take ownership of the whole company. At first, he didn't want to sell his shares because they weren't worth anything. I was proposing buying his debt so I could grow the company without his mismanaging it even farther. Our relationships became strained and things became very uncomfortable that year. What I learned is that it's impossible to have your cake and eat it too. You could either grow your company and be okay with getting paid last, or you could focus on getting paid first, which hinders the company's growth. He was thinking short-term, and I was thinking long-term. And that's why the partnership didn't work. Eventually, he had no choice but to sell me his shares, because he was going through a divorce and the company couldn't afford to pay him anymore, so we settled. For the next four years, I worked my ass off to get the company out of debt and back to profitability again. I would work until 11 at night, sometimes past midnight, and then I will go to TGI Fridays because they were open until 2. I'll take my laptop, have something to eat, a few drinks, and I will keep working until they close. Sometimes I go home, but other times I sleep on the couch at the office. I can work on only 2 or 3 hours of sleep at nights at times. It was actually my dog that made me realize I was burning myself out. My dog Jagger is a 60-pound dog. He's a Dutch tractor, which is basically the original German wire hair. I brought him to the office with me, and one night... I was working late, and he hopped right into my desk, sat down, and looked at me. I took a picture of that moment. I looked at it every once in a while, and you could see in the dog's face that he's looking at me and saying, all right, there's enough. It's time to go home. I got to the point when I realized that all this work was taking this toll on me. I was drinking more than usual. I was overworking. And I didn't feel I had that drive to do this for the next four years. Even though the company was finally in a place of profitability, I didn't know how to turn off the switch. It wasn't just that I couldn't relax. I've forgotten how to relax. Every day I was operating out of survival mode, not growth. I started doing some research on personal development. I'm not a seminar, motivation, run across hard calls kind of guy. I wanted somebody to help me to have gone through what I was going through. One day, I was watching a video podcast episode of Jacko Willink, the Navy SEAL, and Raul's video popped out on the mid-roll. I usually skip those ads because I don't have time to waste sitting through commercials. But as I continued to listen to the message, something clicked. I filled out the form to learn more, 
and he showed me a 25-minute video where Raul explaining what he went through when he was going through his tunnel. I saw a man getting real and raw, and immediately I thought, this is exactly what I was going through at that time. He was showing me in that video what I was feeling inside, but I had no one around me who could understand how I felt. I immediately booked a session with his team to learn more about the program, and when I booked a phone call with Raul, we made an immediate connection. There was no fluff or bullshit in the conversation. He knew exactly what I was going through and told me exactly what I needed to hear. I had mastered the warrior mode since 1996, but I was afraid to let go of control, and that kept me from becoming the king I was destined to be. My strategy of sedating and overworking was not going to get me anywhere that I wanted. I needed to do the inner work in order to become the leader, not the grinder. Within a couple of months, I attended his bootcamp experience, and that changed my life forever. One of the patterns that he exposed in me was that I was so focused where I wanted to go and how I was going to do it that I'd forgotten about the who and the why. Raul asked me, why do you do what you do? At first, I had a superficial answer, something like, I was born to succeed or some bullshit like that. And he said, when you stop chasing success and pursue greatness instead, you will find the edge. Before that event, I never gave too much thought about my purpose, let alone pursuing greatness. All I was focused on was getting out of the hole that my partner put me in, and I realized that I had to take my head out of the hole to see the big picture. One of the tools that I use every day religiously is a daily ritual. For me, it helps me get out of the grind and see the big picture. Instead of being stuck in my own head, I get in touch with my higher version. When the pandemic hit, I was able to adapt and adjust effortlessly in order to expand my business in ways that I could never feel possible. We have this new mantra in the company. Certainty is the new currency. And the only thing that we can be certain right now is that there is going to be a lot of uncertainty in the market. And it is a way for us to bring more value to our customers who will find it. Focusing on the mantra, we were able to pivot and branch out to a new industry, the healthcare sector. The new division of our company has already delivered millions of masks, gloves, and medical garments to hospitals and medical professionals. It hasn't been easy because there's a lot of government regulations and inventory and logistic issues. But we're already well on our way to quadrupling our business in the next 12 months. If it weren't for the tools that I've learned in this program, my company probably wouldn't have made it through the pandemic. My code that I live by is, never quit, don't quit, don't give up. When I was teaching tennis lessons, my coach, Milgrand, told me, when you're out there in the court, don't quit. You can hate the other guy, and when you're out there, you don't let up until the end. And after you come off the court, you realize that you don't actually hate that person. But when you're in there, you're going to war. That never say die attitude took me far in life. But when I went through my tunnel, I lost that grit. When I met Raul, I got it back. My mission continues to expand every day, and I focus on who I need to become to turn that vision into reality. I realize that leadership is not given, and it's not bought with money, it's earned. My employees and my clients push me to become a better leader every single day. The key to fulfillment is never the destination. It's being happy with who you become in this journey.